Well, hello, everyone. It is another week, which means another episode of Certified Forgotten. You are listening to the only podcast available every place podcasts are found that talks about movies with five or fewer reviews and Rotten Tomatoes. It has taken us to some deep and dark and interesting corners of the horror sphere so far, and I think today's movie is no exception to that. Our guest and my co-host have no idea how I feel about this movie yet. It is a uh, Donato film through and through. We'll talk about that in a minute, but just let you know that this is going to be an exciting reveal for Trace and Matt when I kind of come honest about this as well. But I buried the lead a little bit because I got to I got to say it's it's my buddy Matt Donato. How you doing, friend? I am doing great. And I would like to confirm that not only are we the only podcast that reviews horror films with five or less Rotten Tomatoes reviews critically, mm-hmm. we are now the only fully vaccinated podcast that reviews horror films with five critic reviews or less than Rotten Tomatoes. That is very, very true. Uh, so if Donato like just nosedives halfway through this recording, um, know that it's, you know, it's just a side effect of the Pfizer vax. He, he actually really, really wants to have this conversation, but that is amazing, dude. And I know, I know our guest, we'll, we'll introduce him in a second. Our guest is fully vaccinated too. So this is a 100% vaccinated episode of Certified Forgotten. And that is honestly probably the best thing we'll talk about tonight. That's just so cool. We're into it. So with that, should I just get to our guest? Is that the easy way to do this? Let's do it. All right. Pfizer gang gang. Pfizer gang gang. We are going to complete our gang gang here with our guest who I am sure you know already because number one, they've written on the site before and a wonderful article about where are the dicks in horror? The question Mm -hmm. we've all been asking and the question that today's movie does answer somewhat. But to get to that point, I introduce Mr. Trace Thurman co-host of bloody disgusting's horror queers podcast and also writer on bloody disgusting trace welcome hey guys thank you for having me and uh yeah i'm really excited about this gangbang you're talking about yeah gang gang it's pfizer gang gang pfizer gang gang you don't spend enough time on tiktok do you trace wait so wait donato did you get your second shot today or i did oh i I got home maybe an hour ago i think the blood's not even dried yet we're we're still we're going strong Oh, God. For those of you who can't see the video, uh, Donato just showed us his bloodstained Band-Aid on his shoulder. That is that is his way of sharing his caring. Um, well, be prepared for... I had a migraine. My, the second shot gave me the worst migraine. Like, And I'm prone to them, specifically when I'm hungover. But oh my God, that Pfizer migraine was not fucking around. I'm hydrating. I'm going to eat a lot tonight. That's what I've been told by Perry, who avoided anything. So I'm hoping that tomorrow is good. And I have no proof that this works at all, but do the windmill thing, like rotate your arms every now and then. Like we did that. It's supposed to, it's supposed to actually be okay. I don't know. That's just what I, we did that and we didn't get side effects round two. My husband was like, you need to move your arm. Like that, that stops it from being sore. And I was like, no one told me that. I'm like sitting there playing a video game with like this dead arm. I know your husband is so smart that I would just do whatever, whatever he says. I know that's not even his field. Just do what he says. I started doing it. I was like, all right, well, here we go. <laughs> like three hours late, but sure. So Trace, this is a, this, is this a common occurrence for you? You know, as somebody who makes their, their living talking about horror movies on a podcast, do you usually get the chance to be the guest or is this kind of a new thing for you? You know, I do get the chance to be the guest and I like being the guest because I mean, it's not that I don't put in any work when I'm coming on as a guest, but there's less pressure for me to like get it right because it's not my uh, reputation on the line. <laughs> this is only good for me because I'm getting exposed to your audience. Um, it's y'all whose ass is on the line for bringing my ass on here. This is you on the line and we will gladly put you out there. <laughs> I mean, basically we're trying to steal. No, like 
I mean, uh, for horror, the horror quiz podcast evolved a lot. Like we've been, we've been going for about two and a half years now, and it started with just like, okay, let's just talk about the movie for an hour, and then it was kind of like, well, let's let the movie dictate the discussion. So it'll be like, okay, let's talk about the movie and how we all feel about it. Let's go through production history if there is details on that. Let's go through the plot beat by beat in sort of a we hate moviesy fashion. So it's like there's a lot like a lot of work that we put into it each week and while i took notes and i watched the movie for tonight's episode um it's less work for me <laughs> so i really enjoy it <laughs> and also i know how hard it is to get you to talk trace so you yeah know, i'm sure this is really taxing for you no i know i i, I i'm <laughs> uh, i'm the talk one uh, the talkative one i i don't tend to leave a lot of space for people to reply to me because i just answer for them Well, Donato and I have compared ourselves to you and Joe only in the sense that you guys have such clearly defined roles in terms of like, because we're baseball fans. Mm -hmm. You have like the the color commentator and the play-by-play guy, right? Like Joe is the one that's like play-by-play, keep it on the tracks discussion. And you're the guy that's like coming in with anecdotes and stuff. And it's such a, it's such a fun dynamic. And it's, which isn't to say that you guys, you know, you don't know what you're talking about and Joe can't let his hair loose, but it's such a fun dynamic. Okay, no, 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 no. You're right. Like we, we do compare each other a lot. And for your listeners, everyone. So Joe was on y'all's episode on the name, the nameless. Is that what it was called? Mm-hmm. I didn't know the movie, so I didn't listen to that part of the episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Joe. My, my husband is Ari Drew, who was on the Poughkeepsie Tapes episode. But um, no, uh, we uh, we always have this running gag where it's like, yeah, I'm the fun one. Joe's like the studious one, and y'all are kind of similar. I mean, sometimes we'll make the joke where it's like, yeah, Joe and Monagle are the boring ones and Donato and Thurman are like the fun, exciting ones that you want to hang out with. And that's not entirely true. It's partially true. Um, it's pretty true. It's pretty <laughs> fucking true. It really is. No, but it, it's it's this odd couple balance. And I know y'all talked about this with Joe a little bit, but that's what it is. And I think each it, it, it brings a lot to the shows because you each have your own fans. It, it's such different personalities you attract the same types of listeners, you know? And so I think it, um, it really, because what would, what good would it be if you had two Donatos here? You'd get nothing done. We would somehow (laughs) talk about demon win more than we already do. No, no, I have still never seen this movie and it's almost because of, I mean, I'm morbidly curious, but I'm almost kind of like so annoyed by how often Donato pushes it that I'm like, I don't want to give him the satisfaction of like seeing this movie and possibly liking it. Oh shit, I'm also annoyed. Well, aren't you going to feel like an asshole when you finally watch it? I know. <laughs> well, okay, I again, we're we're teasing it because it's going to be a fun discussion, but I think I think what you have done today is you have brought the new demon wind, right? Like you've brought the new psycho gorman, you've brought something that Donata will talk about for a long time after this. So, it's better for you to it's better for you to bring something exciting and new than to play into the stuff that we already love. Anytime you can anytime you can find that movie that somebody gets really excited about, that's good. That's I mean that's I mean I I guess we'll talk about it like later later, but like yeah, that that's why I picked it and um Donato actually helped me pick this movie because I was like struggling with like what to do and he was like, "Oh, but this movie that you talked about like a lot has four reviews." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> so there we go. Well, let's back up. Um, for those that aren't familiar with your work, that haven't listened to horror queers, um, that don't know your writing and all that jazz, let's let's take an opportunity to get to know the real Trace Thurman. Let's start in the let's start in the beginning, as we always do with our guests, and kind of talk about what got you into being a horror fan. What were those early memories, those early experiences, the formative shit that made you think like, oh, I really like this genre. This is something that I want to watch more of. So um, I don't like being told what to do. Um, and I don't like being told what I can't do. And growing up, 
the one thing I could not do was watch R-rated movies. Um, I mean, I've, even PG-13 to an extent. Like, I remember um, my mom wouldn't let me watch Hocus Pocus. Like, I was three years old or four years old in Blockbuster. And I was like, oh, I want to watch that movie. It's Disney. And my mom was like, she grew up really Catholic. And so we were a fairly religious household. And I think the witches at first were kind of like, well, that, that might not be appropriate for a three or four year old boy. And I just remember, like, they rented it. And my they said, we're going to watch it tomorrow morning. And we'll let you know if you can watch it. And I walked in and they were probably happy with the movie. I mean, again, I'm like three or four years old and I'm like, can I watch it? And they look at me and just go, oh, sorry, I, I'm, I'm shaking my head <laughs> for the people who are listening to this. Um, and I was devastated. Like, it's the first time I was flat out told, like, you cannot watch this movie. And I, it basically put me on this path. To, like, I want to watch this movie. And Hocus Pocus might seem a little weird because it's not really a horror movie. But for kids, I mean, there's a decapitated zombie in that movie. Like, there, there is a lot of horror imagery in that that really works for kids that's why it's become a classic but so every week we would go to blockbuster you know and we would go to i would go to the aisles and peruse everything and like you know i'm sure y'all are familiar you know, you go to the blockbuster like you or any video rental store for that matter and you the video art is what like sticks in your mind like yeah i i have like the the, the most intense memories of Corbin Burnson and the dentist too. Like I've never seen the fucking movie to this day, but like of the mouth with the blades in it, or there's this movie with Rucker Howard called bleeders. That was like, it's like these little weird alien monsters that are just on the cover and it's really gross. And I think the cover even had like a squishy blood thing that you could play with on it. Still haven't seen it, but like the imagery of these, these horror movies that were in the horror aisle of blockbuster, like just stick with me. And so as I got older, I, I basically would spend an hour, in the store, in the horror aisle, looking for things that were PG or PG-13. Because the one rule that we had was I can watch anything to a certain point um, as long as it wasn't rated R. So that's how I came across things like Track Tremors was one of the first things I remember seeing that was like, oh, like this is a horror movie that I can really get into because it's not rated R. And when it comes to strict parenting, it even goes to Goosebumps. Like I wasn't allowed to watch the Goosebumps TV show because it was too scary. And I was in first grade and my mom told me she was like, Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm like going all over the place, but uh, she was like, if you, oh, I got two of the books. Sorry, I'm like, like re- recollecting as I do this. Um, it was a book fair, like a book, uh, one of those cakewalks, but like you get a book instead of a cake. And I got two Goosebumps books and one of them was definitely Deep Trouble. And I don't remember what the other one was. It might've been Monster Blood. And my mom basically said, if you can read both of those books, tell me everything that happens in them and not have nightmares, I will let you watch an episode of this TV show. And she pulled the same shit with Romeo and Juliet too. Cause she didn't want me to see the Romeo and Juliet movie with Bos- the Baz Luhrmann one. And she didn't think I was going to read the fucking play. And I did, <laughs> but I did it. And I got to watch goosebumps and honestly, goosebumps is kind of what got me. That really got me into horror, but it was the first thing that like I was forbidden to see that I was eventually allowed to see. Mm-hmm. And from there it was like, I'm going to keep chasing this high. Like what else can I keep doing? Um, what else can I can I find to watch that's maybe not appropriate? Um, I remember like watching Halloween H two O on HBO, but we didn't have HBO, so I listened to Halloween H two O while I looked at the the green, pink, and squiggly lines on the TV. <laughs> that was how I watched uh, From Dust Till Dawn the first time. Literally mm-hmm. the same way. Like I wasn't allowed to watch it either, so you know I had to sleep over with some friends, and we're sitting there watching it through the little like you said squiggly colored lines, trying to watch the vampires fight Danny Trejo yes. and stuff like stuff like that. But it's also interesting because like just really quickly on my side of things, mm-hmm. I kind of had a similar upbringing, but my parents went the route of my mom specifically 
talked me out of wanting to get into horror where I wasn't challenged to get into it. Like my mom basically from a very early age taught me to be afraid of things and taught me to like, you know, oh, you don't want to watch that. That's terrifying. You're not gonna be able to handle it. And like that doubt over and over like that instilled me and kept me away from horror where like you were challenged and you just dove in. And you're like, oh, no, screw you. I'm going to rebel. Like literally, I'm going to be rebellious as early as I can and go into it. Well, and so that's the thing, you know, so my mom was the strict one, at least in terms of what we consume, the media we consume, like she was always the one that had the barrier down my dad, and she doesn't like horror movies, my dad loves horror movies, and he would always like watch anything with me. And so the, the and to the point, and my mom was a stay at home mom, my dad worked, you know, nine to five Monday through Friday, but so my mom was never out of town or away a lot. But the very few times she was my dad would rent me R rated movies. So I remember like, in, I was 10, it was the faculty, and he he rented the faculty, I'm sorry, and my mom was out of town for some reason visiting her mother in Louisiana, and my dad, like, he goes, Trace, come upstairs, and my sister was at her friend's house, and he's holding this VHS, this blockbuster VHS at the faculty, and goes, I will let you watch this movie, but you have to promise me that you will not tell your mother <laughs> anything that you see in this, and if you get scared, you gotta keep your mouth shut and just cry in your room. <laughs> <laughs> and i was like yeah yeah sure so there was things like that like i remember like a, a weekend in uh when I, I think it was in eighth grade i uh my mom was out of town for a week and by that point i was 14 and so my dad rented me like so many i i, I was like uh all the screams uh deep blue sea i finally get to see halloween h2o um jeepers creepers which th that was also one where it was um when he wasn't able to sneak them for me he would go see them and he would after he watched them, he would just tell me everything about like, everything that happened. So he would just recount the plots for me beat by beat. And the one I remember doing, which I know it's like, you know, not PC now because of the director, but I remember he went to go see Jeepers Creepers. My mom went to go see like Snow Falling on Cedars. And my sister and I went to go see Rat Race. And I was so mad that I couldn't go see Jeepers Creepers of all fucking things. And so when we got in the car afterwards, he just told me the whole story from beginning to end. And I was so like, elated just like listening to my dad tell me what happened in this r-rated movie that i couldn't go see so wait so your whole your whole family would go to the multiplex and you guys would just watch like all of you would go to different movies not often normally we would all go see the same movie but that for that particular time it worked out like I, or like uh, i think um when supernova no because my dad and i went to go see supernova my, my mom and sister went to go see something else i want to say drop dead gorgeous honestly because my dad and i were like that's a girly movie little do we know it's like one of the best comedies ever made Normally it was family movie night, but mm. if there was like a horror movie that my dad wanted to go see, then we would often, yes, yeah, split up like that. Um, but my sister and I always had the best time. Like my sister didn't like horror movies. And so we would just like, whenever we did have times to go up on our own, we just go see something like my parents would not like rat race. And it was just fun to go. Like, I don't know. My family's shared experiences all came from movies and we had our family movies that we watched together. But then we also like, when we split up, those were like, bonding moments for us on our own with whatever member of the family we were seeing X movie with. I like that. That's a, that's a fun way to break that down. Cause I know that, you know, usually we, my family would go, I'll go see the same thing. And usually, you know, people would half the room would walk away disappointed a little bit, but if you're a little bit, if you loosen it up a bit and you get to mm -hmm. pair off that, that actually sounds like if I would have had, if I were going to have kids, that sounds like maybe the way that I would have approached it. The um yeah, like my sister again, who's not in a horror movie, is not really a big movie person in general, but um every 
every Black Friday, my parents would go, they take us to the mall that had an AMC in it, and they would go do their Black Friday Christmas shopping and drop my sister and I off at the movie theater. And we would pick, We I, I had the fucking schedule down. I was like, okay, I know there's 15 minutes of trailers, cut off five minutes for end credits. Like this movie's going to end at this time. And we would plan three movies. And my sister and I would see the first two by ourselves. And then the, my, my parents would join in for the third one. But like, I mean, this is, I guess, my freshman year of college. But like, you know, my, my sister and I went to go see first Hitman, then Enchanted. No, sorry. Hitman, then The Mist, and then Enchanted on like a thanks a Black Friday one year. <laughs> Black Friday 07. <laughs> That's a pretty good lineup, all things considered. It was emotional whiplash. <laughs> well, talk to me a little bit about how you... Um how you translated that into to more of your career now as a writer and podcast host, right? Like, were you involved in film criticism or anything like that in college? Were you reading or writing about film with essays? And I, I, I have it in my head and I don't know if it's correct, but I have it in my head that, that film criticism as like a dedicated thing is, is a new, like five or six years old for you. Is that correct? That it's, it's a newer endeavor. I started writing for Bloody um, in tw- the very, very tail end of 2014, but I did get, right I, on. I went to school for film. Um, so I have two majors from UT Austin and one is public relations, which I do not use. Um, haha, and one is for radio, TV, film. And when you're in college or when you're in film school, you have one of two paths you can take. You can take production or you can take studies. And I'm not the creative type, despite like being a podcaster, which is a creative endeavor, like. I I went the studies route because I was like I want to I don't want to make films I want to talk about films I want to mm-hmm. read about films I want to learn about films like not many people can say they got to take not only a horror film class in college but also an Asian horror film class in college like and granted that sounds fun but it's also like a lot of work because it's like a lot of analysis <laughs> so it, it was priming me for that but I mean even going back to high, like middle school and high school like you know I I, I grew up gay in a like a suburban town outside of Houston. And it's not that I didn't have friends. Like I had friends, but because my family was so centered around media, like, I mean, this is a family that grew up with five TVs in their house. Every night, every TV was recording from seven to 10 primetime TV slots. And we spent every weekend watching those shows on those tapes. So we could then tape over them the next week. Um, So I was just built around media growing up. And so the way that I kind of coped with, some of the negative experiences of growing up gay in a small, I'm not, I guess it's a Texas town, not a small Texas town. Cause it's like Sugarland. Yeah. Um, but what was through movies? Like I, it was, uh, it was a way for me to cope with the things that I didn't like. And that sounds like a really sad thing, but it was actually like really beneficial for me. Um, it might've like affected my social skills to a certain point because I was more used to like consuming media than talking to actual people. But it kind of went from there. And like I, to the point where I even had like, I was known for being the movie guy. I had, you know, a thousand DVDs to the point, and I, I would um, rent out those DVDs to friends in high school once I got to high school. Because uh, despite what movies want to tell you, um, high school actually, well, for me at least, isn't that bad. Middle school's where it sucks. Uh, high school, it got better. <laughs> Can't say I know in that experience. I was homeschooled for two years in middle school, so seemed perfectly normal to me. Because you were in Alaska, right? Yeah, my parents wanted to give me a more Catholic curriculum. Oh fuck no 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 I no I don't I don't I don't like I mean no offense to anyone who went to Catholic school or really any kind of religious school but um I really really strongly hate any kind of like religious indoctrination in school like I think that's I hate it I hate it. <laughs> well, that's where I'm from, so that probably every time I tell that to folks it explains a lot. 
But I think like Tracy, you're kind of talking about the thing here. Like one of the things that you don't, I mean, you all figured, we all figure it out eventually. But I think one of the things that you don't realize until your 20s, 30s even, is the idea that like those things that you were uber passionate about, like the things that you thought were taking you away from normal socialization, once you get to a certain age, you just meet all the people that were also into that. And then you're all just fine forever, right? Like the movie crews, the board game nerds, the video game people, like all the people who are like, oh man, I need to be more outgoing. I need to do social groups and stuff. You, it turns out everybody just, once they get to a point in life where they can sustain themselves socially, they're just like, I'm going back to all the stuff I wanted to do when I was 16 and couldn't get away with. To an extent, yes. I mean, I have met some amazing friends through my passion for movies and a, a shared passion for film and cinema. And But I feel like there's also like a, a second road people can take where it's like, um, I was made fun of and I was bullied and... I don't, I, I'm above all of you. And like, it's like this kind of pretentious, like, because film is the one thing I had growing up. I'm the king of film and everyone else is beneath me. And that, that that's like the, the dark path that I feel like um, a lot of, yeah, I hear you. I don't want to say social outcasts, but like just people that, that did use media as like a coping mechanism. That's one path they can take, or they can be like me and just enjoy life and be happy. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how else to put that. I think it's the balance. I think there is, as you said, you had a decent high school experience where, mm-hmm. I mean, I had a fine high school experience. Don't let me like undersell any of that. But in the same respect, I don't love high school. Like if I went back, it would be done a little differently. And in, in that sense yeah. where like, you know, when you have that memory and it's not that bad, you were able to kind of flourish more and you were able to have that kind of, you're part of the day job crew. I mean, like that's the other part of this too. I think, I, I think that's mm-hmm. something to talk about in the sense where, when you're able to have the day job and have the night gig and you can separate both things and realize that there are a lot of things in the world and you can kind of separate yourself, it does lend to different experiences. And I think that's something that, you know, I've definitely found where, you know, we, if we talk about the community and whatnot and not getting into it, but there's a lot of people who are one minded and there are a lot of people that have a bunch of different viewpoints jammed in. And those people tend to have the views that we're sharing, I think. That, well, that, that, I mean, that's where gatekeeping comes from, right? Because right. it's like, no, this is my thing. You don't get to come in on my thing because this right. helps me. It doesn't help you. And you're not, you don't know enough to like call yourself this. But yeah, I mean, no, I, I agree. I mean, again, like I, I know I brought it to the negative there, but there's so much positive to come out of this, the shared passion for movies and horror is, you know, I, I can't tell you why I got into horror other than I was told I couldn't watch it. And that made me instinctively like just want to watch it. And because it was something that my dad and I shared, because he also went towards that and was married to a woman who didn't appreciate it. Um, it was something that my dad and I shared that brought us closer together. And he's not dead or anything, like he's alive, but like <laughs> it's just something that like we have. And there's something about horror that's um I mean, obviously thrilling, but it's it's like you're constantly chasing a high. It's it, it's a drug for me, like more so than any any other genre of film, it's it's invigorating. And I'm someone who likes a lot of genre. I, I mean, I'll watch, you know, the goriest fucking thing, like Serbian film or whatever. But I'll also like want to go watch this great, I mean, great in quotation marks, J-Lo rom-com that's out. <laughs> so <laughs> You have multitudes. You contain multitudes, Trace. There you go. But to bring it back around to your original question, Monagle, which is how did I get in it? How did I transfer that to writing? Honestly, I mean, I got out of school. I realized that I hate... Cause I. I I had film the film degree, which I was like, cool, I just want to have this. But PRs were like, it's my, it's like, I'm going to have a job in that. Like, that's going to be my money degree. Mm. 
and I got out of college and I had an internship at a PR firm and I fucking hated it. And it was like, oh no, like I just wasted four years of my life on this degree that I don't want to do. Like, and I didn't know what to do. So I ended up working at events for a couple, well, several years. Like it was like five years. But during that time working at events in Austin, I I started my own blog um, and I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, and I didn't know what, I was like, I just want to talk about movies and TV, whatever. And I called it Wine and Watch. And the whole concept was like, it's this guy who loves to drink wine, who's writing about movies and TV. And <laughs> it was really bad. Um, but I, I want I, the column. I, I, I wrote, I wrote this news stuff, which doesn't make any sense. Cause like I, it, I wasn't like an, an outlet, <laughs> but um, I did in defense of columns where I was like, I want to like defend these movies. So I defended like fucking bad teacher and I defended something else. And I saw on bloody disgusting. Someone did an in defensive scream Four. no, sorry. Drive me to no, no, sorry. It was, it was in defensive scream Four, And I was like, I emailed the editor of bloody disgusting Brad Miska. And I was like, Hey, like I saw, cause I, I thought that's this, not that I thought this person stole my idea, because obviously, like, we all defend movies, but I was like, well, here's my in. So I basically said, hey, um, I wrote this in defense of Drive Me to Hell, because when I was working at Blockbuster, that was the one movie that I would always recommend people go see. And it was the one I got the biggest return on, where they were like, that was fucking stupid. That was fucking terrible. It wasn't scary. And so I learned to, like, give this caveat that's like, oh, no, the humor is intentional. Like, when the goat starts talking, like, it's meant to be funny. So many people didn't realize that, like, that movie was meant to be funny because they didn't know Sam Raimi. So I wrote an in defense of Driving to Hell, even though that movie doesn't need a defense. And I said it to Brad, to Brad Miska, and I was like, hey, um, I saw that you just had someone post it in defense of Scream 4. Would you be comfortable um, posting this if you wanted? And he responded honestly, within like a couple hours and was like, oh my God, yes, please. And so he posted and I started writing for them for free for like six months uh, before they brought me on uh, regularly. And I became kind of, I guess what, what Megan Navarro is now for them. Cause Megan Navarro is like their lead critic now. And at the time I was like their, their regular, like, oh, I'm churning out like articles, like multiple ones a week to get clicks and stuff. I mean, sorry, not just for clicks, but like <laughs> to have content. We we know how we know how it works. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we know how the industry up, ups and downs. We all deal with it. It's it's everything. We all got to write the articles. But like, I I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll just write for you. And like, then eventually, a PR firm in Austin reached out and was like, oh hi, like we see that you're writing for Bloody. Um, did you know that you can get a free pass to a film festival and like do that, get press credentials? And I was like, I had no idea I could do that. <laughs> So it just kind of evolved from there. Like just me wanting to write about like, sh like in defense of movies that I really liked somehow got me working for bloody disgusting. And that just kind of set me on my path to where I am today. Well, last question then, before we talk about the movie that you brought us, um, I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective, because we've heard the Joe side of things, but mm -hmm. talk about the origins of horror queers and kind of what was, you know, obviously to a certain extent, any podcast is just two people who, kind of know each other and i mean that's the origin of certified forgotten right, right. two guys that were like we kind of know each other you seem to have interesting opinions on twitter let's try a thing right but like what horror queers has become especially to a, a lot of viewers a lot of your queer viewer or listeners not viewers who want to engage with these movies in the same way you guys are talking about them it's like it's a really good podcast and it really resonates with a lot of folks it's not just two mats talking about movies not that we're you know anything other than lovely two straight white mats talking movies but, but don't so, belittle yeah. yourself <laughs> but, it's, but it's like it's a thing right like nobody's nobody's gonna leave a, a note on our which is fine nobody's gonna leave a note on our podcast and basically be like like oh like i feel like you guys are speaking for me at a certain point in my life so 
I'm just, I'm curious how, regardless of where it ended up, like kind of what you were hoping to do, what you were hoping to accomplish when you and Joe started that podcast. So Joe, Joe was the one to thank for this podcast. Um, so he, he did, I mean, I, I was familiar with Joe. I don't know if I knew he was gay um, at the time when I saw that he was writing. I, I knew he covered tip and stuff like that because he's like all Canadian and shit. And <laughs> one day, I, I want to say he just emailed me or he Twitter messaged me one day. This would have been in like late 2017, like around probably Halloween. And he basically said, hey, I've noticed that you're gay because I would always incorporate like queer shit in my writing and be like, well, as a gay man, blah, 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 um, which would always make the comment just really happy. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, OK, sorry, like random like thing. But like I remember writing this whole thing about how American Horror Story Asylum was the best season and Coven's the worst season. And this is like, you know, after season five. So not, not many seasons had aired. But um, I wrote in this in this article, I was like, how coven is so bad because it panders to the gays because it's like oh we'll give the gays all these bitchy queens and one-liners and they won't care about any kind of structure story plot anything and i had so many comments on this article that were like um i'm sorry that's really offensive pandering to the gays because there were all these queer people that were replying to this article not realizing that the person who wrote it was also queer and they thought i was attacking them when very much i was like no 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 no. i'm one of you (laughs) And I'm offended by this pandering. I, 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 so I had to like add a note to it. So that was probably something that cued Joe in. Made me so fucking mad. Uh, but yeah, he was like, oh, I noticed that you're gay. Like, do, do you want to maybe start doing like a column where we analyze like queer themes in horror films? I was like, yeah, sure. Like uh, set it up and let me know what you want to do. <laughs> uh, so we we started the podcast started as an um, epistolary epistory where you like just go back and forth like in writing um mm-hmm. and uh we would i think our first movie was like the skin i live in which in hindsight was probably a little bit out of our depth because that deals with a lot of heavy trans issues but then we would go to something like the covenant which is like incredibly homoerotic uh and so every month we would start just we, we would write about a different film and it used to be where we would be like oh you know there has to be something queer in this movie and eventually we started doing off to a month where it was on brand horror queers movies, which was something that did have like queer themes in it. And then we would do off brand where it was like, oh, we just, something we just want to talk about that will have a queer perspective, but there's nothing necessarily queer in the film. Like we talked about Anaconda one year. I think the Boris Flack we ever got because the articles did okay. Um, but it, if it was a more popular film, it would get a lot more hate comments. Like, if you could read the comments when we talked about Batman Returns and how Catwoman and the Penguin are queer icons, but like their their arcs are very queer based. Uh, oh my god, <laughs> the people that were like they're not gay. I was like, no, that's not what we're saying. Like we're not yeah. saying they're gay. Um, Joe was trying to make me do a podcast for the longest time during this because I, I think he always wanted that and just didn't want to tell me because I was very much against it because I was just like I don't know how to do a podcast. I don't know what to do with the equipment. I don't know how to set this up. Like, where would we even begin? And so after about a year of doing these articles, so the end of 2018, he was like, we can make this work. And we reached out to, to Brad and Tom at Bloody Disgusting. And we were like, hey, we would love to turn these articles into a podcast. Like, would you be willing to support us? And I think at the time, they had, like, just started a podcast network. Like, I think they maybe had one or two podcasts in their network. And they were like, yes, absolutely. And... I mean, we have the benefit of, of having a queer perspective. Granted, it's a white male queer perspective, which I always like to joke. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I'm gay. <laughs> like, because otherwise, if I was straight, I'd be really fucked. Um, like y'all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
and we did and i don't know what we expected like we started very small i think i think it joe's gonna hate me for saying this i I think when it premiered and we didn't have like thousands of downloads off that i think it kind of was um a bit jarring for joe i think he thought we were i mean there's a hope right when you start a new creative endeavor that you know you hope it's going to catch on it's going to do really well and unfortunately with podcasting because there's so many what is the what is the stat like it's like 300 podcasts a day like Mm -hmm. new podcasts a day come out so we started pretty small but you know we had the platform of bloody discussing which we're very very grateful for because honestly without bloody we wouldn't be where we are today or have the audience base we have today but we started talking about scream that was our first episode and scream is a franchise that has an enormous queer following and we just kind of kept doing it and uh it grew from there but like and the way I say it evolved from like, I don't know when, when, when we started. Cause honestly, our first episode, like, I can't listen to it. Like, I'm just like, that's not, that's not the show. <laughs> like, that's not what we are anymore. But it, we used to be such sticklers about being like, Oh no, it needs to be a film with queer content. And now it's like, no, 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 no. We're the queer content. Like we bring in the queer, like Matt, you were on the show and you did the boy next door, which doesn't have any gay characters in it, but like, it's so fucking campy that it's like, Oh, it, it, it fits. And it's amazing how many things you can look at and find queer content in it, even if it's not explicitly there. So we've been doing it for a little over two years. And it's, I mean, I'm really proud of what we've done. I think we've, we've come a really long way. We've built our audience base. Obviously it's still growing. Hopefully you you never want to see things shrink. And I I hate like, I I don't like doing self promo. It's really, makes me uncomfortable. (laughs) Oh, don't worry. We'll we'll continue to talk about horror queers throughout the rest of the episode, even oh, if you great. won't. So you're in good shape there. Yeah. I mean, again, like, for anyone who doesn't listen to us, like we have, we, we basically release content constantly. Like we have a main feed episode every Wednesday. Where it's our main film. We talk about a queer horror short every other Friday. Um, we have a Patreon where we talk about any new films that are coming out. Then we guest on other podcasts. So that's great. Well, you are a guest on our podcast this week. And because of that, you have brought us a film. Oh, what a film. So when we come when we come back, it is gonna be the Trace and Matt show, I think. We'll be back in just a sec. Did all, have you heard me say before that we couldn't do the show without the support of our patrons? Once or twice. Is, does that sound familiar? Uh, we do these things every two weeks so it is somewhat familiar you're right donato it was good of me to bring that up and that is because we couldn't support we couldn't support our writers we couldn't support our podcast without the support of people who value what we do get excited about the films that we cover and that means you the patrons and as always with every episode of the podcast we're going to shine a spotlight on one particular patron who has uh, a couple of things for us to say we are going to shine that spotlight on stephosaurus rex our wonderful Patreon and my ex skee-ball teammate who brought me into the skee-ball world, honestly. Her and uh, Matt Breda were my, I mean, they championed me and they brought me in and they taught me how it all worked. So we have to give Steph her own shout out here. So Steph, thank you for everything you've done for me, for the Patreon. And now we're going to answer this question because you want us to. From Steph, I am reading as myself and Monogle at this point. My favorite Taylor Swift song is blank because blank. And then this is Steph's editor's note. And you can't lie and say you don't like Taylor Swift. So, Monogle, I'm going to let you go first. All right, I'm going to cheat. 
it's not that I dislike Taylor Swift. I just I don't I don't know her music at all. Um, may, other than the like I stay out too late song, which I don't even remember the title of that one. But I don't have a negative opinion of her. I just have no opinion. To me, she's she's a radio artist, which sounds like a diss, but it's just it's something that's always kind of on in the background. So I'm going to use this as an opportunity to shout out a friend of mine who I think will will hopefully address this question good enough for me, which is uh, my friend Krista Doyle, along with Jessica Zaleski and Kelly Boyles, runs a podcast called Holy Swift Podcast, the Holy Swift Podcast, where they go song by song through Swift's entire discography. They're at their 154th episode. So if you are looking for a Swift fix, I'm not the guy, but Holy Swift Podcast might be. So that's my that's my cop out. I couldn't answer the question, so I pivoted and shone a light on somebody that could. I'll go with two. I will start with Bad Blood only because I believe that is the video that Joseph Kahn directed. And I love my dude Joseph Kahn from uh, Bodied and Torque and Detention. Mr. Kahn is just an electric filmmaker. And I just want to say that because I truly believe that. And the video he puts together, again, I believe it's the one he directed, but if it is, the video he puts together for Bad Blood is pretty badass. But the actual favorite song is very simple. I Knew You Were Trouble. And not only because it's a very catchy song from Taylor, but because it's one of my favorite pop punk covers by We Came As Romans on mm. the Punk Goes Pop or Pop Goes Punk various artists list. So I, I that is a weird way of going about both of those, but I discover music that way. And it's not that, again, I don't not like Taylor Swift. It's just more the sense that I heard the cover before I did start listening to the actual song. And listen, if you got to work backwards, what's wrong? What's the difference there? I like how you tied it back to punk music. That is good for you for managing to stay on brand, even in uncharted waters. If there's anything you could be, you should be efficient and on brand. And in being efficient and on brand, Steph has a second part to this, and she would just like to remind everyone, please keep wearing your masks and also support your local independent theaters, music venues, small businesses, restaurants, etc., etc. So a message of... uh, community as we start to come out of this as we've already mentioned we are now both faxed here on the podcast and we hope that you are getting your vaccinations as soon as you can as well so that we can all get back to enjoying the local theaters music venues and holy shit if i could see little punk music live i wouldn't hate that sometime soon make matt donato's day get a vaccine and keep listening to the rest of our episode which is about to start right now All right, welcome back, everyone. So this week on the podcast, we are talking about deep murder. Deep murder is, it's many things, really. But uh, as, as a, by way of introduction, it is a 2018 horror comedy. It is directed by Nick Cororossi, who you know, even if you don't know that you know, because he was the writer and director of all of those amazing Don Cheadle Captain Planet spoofs back on uh, College Humor back in the day. Um, a long career as a web writer, a long career as a as a web comedian, and it pulls together some 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 really good talent. It's got Jerry O'Connell, it's got Katie Asselton, it's got Chris Red and Christopher McDonald. It is a film about a group of adult video actors within the universe of the adult film who are surprised to find that one of their number has been murdered and have to set out to solve the mystery. Um, it has, if I were to describe it to somebody, I would say that it, it is sort of a mix up of like Stella meets Pleasantville 
which is a bit of it's it's a weird thing, but it also works. I think if you remember those the, that show and that movie, um, and I won't I won't bury the lead anymore here for you guys. I liked it. I thought it was yes! fun. <laughs> son of a bitch! You son of a bitch! And here's here's why. Here's why. Before we talk about anything else, here's why. I wrote down uh, while I was watching the movie every show that I like that I could think of. Stella was one of them, but there's also Wet Hot American Summer, mm-hmm. Burning Love, Medical Police, Children's Hospital. NTSF, SDSUV, like all of those things that exist in the Michael Showalter universe of like absurd half parody, half original storytelling kind of things. It has that if you if you know any of those shows that I just recommended, if you've seen Children's Hospital for sure, then you kind of understand what this is about and you might get why it works. But I want to, uh, Trace, we're going to start with you because it's your pick. So now is the time for you to pitch our audience on why you brought this yeah. on the show. I mean, uh, yeah. So I mean, you're right about the director, Koro Rossi. Like he, he, he's, yes, the Captain Planet stuff. He's mainly known for being a former staff writer and director at Funny or Die. And this movie I have found in my experience with showing it to a few people um, it is going to like, you're going to love it or sorry, like it or really not like it because it really is kind of a Funny or Die sketch that is stretched to feature length. And normally me saying that, that's like, that's a con because it's like, oh, it's a short film, such a feature length. It's a SNL sketch, such a feature length. Like that never sounds good. For some reason, this movie like keeps it for me. Like I am laughing throughout this entire fucking thing. It's, it's still the same shtick. It's the same gimmick over and over and over. But this director and the the four writers, by the way, <laughs> find a way to make it just stay funny. Like it keeps the momentum going this is about the fourth time I've seen this in a year. Cause I saw this. I don't even know why I watched it, to be honest. I, th- I think Katie Azelton was my draw, like my drawing factor. Cause I love Katie Azelton. I think she's a fantastic writer, creator, director, actress. I hate that she gets killed 25 minutes into this movie. Uh, spoiler alert. But um, cause the cover for this looks like some real bad, like DTV shit. It doesn't look good. And I think I just saw, I was like, Oh, it's Jerry O'Connell. It's Katie Azelton. It's Christopher McDonald. Like I'll, and it's it, it sound the premise itself sounds funny, you know. It's oh, it's a softcore porn that's been interrupted by a slasher film. Cool, and I loved it. Um, I loved it so much that I think I watched it again the next day to make sure that it wasn't a fluke. <laughs> um, but I haven't had as much luck showing it to people. Like I showed it to a movie night with some of my friends, and my husband included. None of them were big fans of it. They were all like thirty minutes in, like this chick has gotten old and it is not funny anymore. So, and that's why I was worried bringing it here. Cause I was like, I, I, I wanted to bring it in because no one knows this movie exists. It's on shutter. I mean, sorry, as, as of April, 2021, it is on shutter. It is on Amazon prime. Like you can, if you have those services, you can watch it for free, quote unquote. And no one knows this exists. Uh, I think it premiered at the, the LA film festival in 2018 before getting like a super quiet release in 2019. No one knows this thing exists. And I'm like, pe- the people have a right to know. Well, and I think so for my experience, I can tell you why I didn't watch it when it came out. And it's for the exact reason you said before with the poster. It's a film that played a festival. I knew it played the festival. I checked Rotten Tomatoes and there was no feedback mm-hmm. on it. Barely anything I could find. And what the poster sells, it's something more in the vein of One-Eyed Monster, Lucky Bastard, Knife and Heart, which is a porno shoot that gets interrupted by a slasher, but it's mm-hmm. like offset. It's still the actors being themselves. And, right, you know, right. you, you lose the identity of a softcore porno that you would see on Skinamax 
you know, at like 3 a.m., mm-hmm. that identity goes away and it just becomes about people in the slasher again. If I had known that this shit, and I mean this in the most positive way, is the Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 of softcore pornos interrupted in a full self-aware setting by a slasher, that yeah. like that would have sold me immediately. And it even has some vibes of that short great choice that I don't know if it's even available yes. right now, but Carrie no, Coon getting not. stuck in the Red Lobster commercial and it turning into like this horror scenario. That's very much uh. this this film deep murder and again if i had known that i would have went full force into that release and i would have replied to that pr email but you're right you look at that poster and you just go all right it's wackadoo jerry o'connell and some other people who are filming a porno and a killer shows up and that turned me off and i was wrong so so here's the thing too because in terms of like the look of the film like if you're going by the poster alone and we're talking about jerry o'connell too it reminds me of like the marketing for satanic panic and that is a movie that I actively, like, hated. I really did not like Satanic Panic. I did not think it was funny. And they both have very similar vibes, at least in their marketing. And it almost... I, I hate saying this, because, I mean, Chelsea Stardust seems like a very nice person. But, like, I almost hate that Satanic Panic got this huge fucking push and everyone saw it. And then this other movie, which I think is way funnier and way has a better lock on the kind of humor it's doing, is just buried in the sand. And... Granted, there was a review, I think it was Michelle Swobe, but she reviewed this and she was like, I I would have, like, I feel like this is marketed for 13 year old boys. And I feel like if I was like a teenage boy, I would enjoy this more. So I, I'm actually curious to see what a female perspective on this would be. I mean, outside of Michelle, obviously, but like, if you have any listeners that like are women or female identifying that see this and see if they get the kind of same thing, because I... I do think the humor is juvenile, but I don't think it's like specifically for teenage boys. Like, I mean, I'm a 32 year old gay man and I had a blast with this movie. (laughs) I bring up Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 because if anyone knows me on Twitter or has heard me here bring it up, it is one of my favorite horror comedies in I don't know how long. And it works because it commits to the spoof. It isn't just Mm -hmm. using the identity in that film as a campy 80s sequel slasher as just a stupid little repetitive gag to me at least to me it goes full force into being what it is it is very thoughtful in the way that it uses its spoofs and satires and it tries to do way more than so many comparable spoofs do and i think that's where the issue lies where you immediately see that someone's trying to spoof a porno and you go how many jokes are they really going to have about this how are they really going to pull this off and i think again that's a very easy way for someone to get turned off just by the concept of deep murder it did to me, but in watching it and in me bringing up Dude Bro, it commits so hard and it does the smallest committal things where even we are in this film that opens on a straight up softcore porno, everything about it, the cheesy music, everything about it, like the smooth jazz and the grainy filter. It even says, I forget what the name of the company is, but again, it's oh, basically it's a uh, it's Cinerax Softcore Presents an yep. Erotica Brothers production. <laughs> yep. So that's how it opens. It opens putting you in the film and then all of a sudden it pulls back to reveal the murder and now like better quality, all these things. But the characters still stay there. And I was like, wait, hold on. You're going to give me now the characters who are acting as they would in this porn and they have to stop banging and figure out a, mur- a murder mystery. Well, well, that's the thing, you know, and, and, and Monagle, in, in your premise summary for this, you said, oh, it's a softcore porn actors who like have, but, they, but they're staying in character. And you're right, but it's like, no, it, it's like, it's not the actors, though. Like, these are just, the Pleasantville comparison is so apt. And it wasn't something I thought of before, but you're so right. Like, it is just, it's just 
an actual softcore. It's the character tropes. And I think, I mean, this, the jokes, I think what helps this movie is that the jokes are constant. So not everything lands, obviously. Like in any comedy, you're going to have a hit to miss ratio. But I think because whenever one doesn't land, you immediately have another joke to swing in and work that works. And it's, it's a specific type of comedy, right? Cause like we've been talking about the, the comps that I gave earlier, we mentioned, um, you know, the funny or die kind of things, but it, it's very much like a mid 2010s web comedy kind of vibe with like mm. the absurd absurdity of it. Like anybody who watched cartoon network or adult swim during that period will kind of will, will like, this is a vibe that they'll understand. And so the jokes aren't necessarily like, they're not going to be set up punchline, you know, audience laugh kind of stuff. A lot of it is like simmering in the background. They're doing weird bits. They're repeating things or fucking with chronology and timelines to kind of like make things work. And that moves it conceptually away from your loaded weapons, um, your naked guns of the world, which are definitely mm-hmm. there to, to, to do like gags. This is not a, this is not a movie that has a lot of gags. It has like a lot of weird bits that are at the end of the day, anchored in the characters and how they're reacting to the absurdity of the environment around them. And so just the way that that shifts the humor from being something where like gags versus absurdity character bits, it changes the energy. And there are, there's definitely like at the 30 minute mark, I wrote down, this is, this is going to be a long 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. I did end up liking it as I said, but, but you recognize how that this is a that this is something we're used to seeing in ten minute bursts that's stretched to ninety minutes, right? And but the style of humor makes it work. It sustains it in a way that I think that band would have broken. My attention would have broken if it was just gags, gags, gags. I I wonder because so I, I, full confession. I mean, like this is a movie where I, every time I've been like, it feels ten minutes too long. Like I feel like it loses steam in the end. I will confess that on this viewing, I was actually like, I bumped it up a half star. I was like, I, w- I didn't feel the, the steam running out this. I, I, I went from a three and a half to a four because I was like, you know what? Fuck it. But it's also because the first act is like, okay, we're at, we're introducing this concept to you. The second act is very much like, okay, cool. Now it's Clue with softcore porn actors. And then the, the third act is the weakest for me. But honestly, it's so funny because every time I've watched this, which may be a testament to how the staying power of the film i keep forgetting who the killer is <laughs> and what their motive is and this is i guess because i was watching it for a podcast this is the first time that i was like oh that motive is actually kind of fun like that's a really fun motive for a murderer even though it's kind of a cheat like who it is and like what what like how they're alive and whatever but um yeah it's also like just the editing in this movie too like this is the, the editing has the best comedic timing um i was gonna say to play off the editing i mean the actors are phenomenal at playing the softcore characters because again they're not actors they are these just softcore stereotypes brought into being and Mm -hmm. we are now watching them and i mean just to single out chris red i fucking love chris red i think he is a genius comedian and most of the things he does and (laughs) when you do the editing and you go back to his face and he is playing the jock stereotype so he is just the jock who walks over uh he's talking to the nerd he's like watch how I do this. And he walks over to the babysitter and is like, I play football. He walks back to the nerds like, that's how I do this. And then he walks back and they're just having sex a minute later. The way that scene comes together and the editing and his facial expressions, it is just one of the many ways. And I I do think each actor has these standout moments and going mm-hmm. to the babysitter too the babysitter has a crisis of conscience where she's walking around a mansion going where are the children who am i babysitting why am i here and that's really again, brilliant gag he's reading the babysitter's group books <laughs> no honestly so every time i watch this i mean 
there, there's so many like something like i don't want to compare it to scary movie because it feels too like a lot of the humor in this movie is lowbrow like it is lowbrow so and that's another reason why it won't work for everybody and they're they're really hitting the lowest hanging fruit like it's obvious jokes but the delivery and the and like the methods they all work but like I keep catching new gags every time. Like I never noticed before in when uh, Hugh is watching the flashback tapes and they're all having dinner and the babysitter has a, a dinner plate with four lollipops on it. <laughs> yep. The details, the, the details are what does it. And I, I don't mean to sound crass by saying this, but it's very good at making fun of pornography. I mean, it's just very good at making fun of these dumb little tropes we've seen over and over again. And that's that. I think that's where the, the comedy comes from. Because when you mention scary movie, that's just trying to pull in pop culture references that are going to die mm. off in a year or two. This is actually a comedy about a subject. And the comedy is coming from the fact that they are skewering something that will be kind of evergreen. And, if you know... If you know what they're skewering, they are skewering it pretty damn well. What are you trying to say, Matt? What, what, <laughs> like, read between the lines. Matthew's mother, are you listening right now? Like, I mean, again, like it's a, again. I wish Katie Adelson were in this movie more before she gets the dildo through the back of her head. But it's like where she's like, I'm going to go make Hugh's favorite meal, food. <laughs> oh, it's like, uh, oh, God. What, uh, oh, yes. Thank God that my husband, your brother, is out there and my trusted employee, the baby. Like the dialogue. Again, but the way the reason this works, as opposed to something like, let's say, Scary Movie 2, which I revisited recently for horror queers because it's very homophobic. But it, it, yeah, it's all built on pop culture things that are of the time to where if you don't know what it's referencing, it's not going to be funny to you. Whereas this movie, granted, yes, it's spoofing softcore porn, but let's say you've never seen a porno before. I think the humor still works because it's still funny. Like it's not referencing like you don't have to know the source material because there is no specific source material to play off of here. So I was... I was reading some of the interviews about this because, you know, it's, I always like to read interviews before we do the show, but I'm particularly interested for something like this. And Quinn Beswick, who stars as Hugh, the Virgin in this movie, and also is one of the four writers, mm -hmm. um, Trace, that you mentioned earlier. When he was asked kind of what the reference points for this were, he mentioned two films, which, which I think is very, very interesting. One is Clue. He mentioned Clue. You said Clue a minute ago, Trace. It has a lot of Clue vibes. But the second film that he referenced, which was a left field choice, but one of my favorite slashers of all time, so I was on board, he said it was Clue, and he'd also been watching a lot of Vincent Price in Theater of Blood, which if you haven't seen Theater of Blood, it, first of all, it's the greatest Batman villain, villain movie that ever existed. But it is, it's, it's an incredible, incredibly campy film about a former stage actor that goes and starts killing the critics that you know gave him his life's work negative reviews, but he starts killing them in accordance with the different Shakespeare plays that they gave him negative reviews for. And what that does is it, it combines sort of like these campy comedic elements with a real strong, fun understanding of how to make the thing that they're sort of adapting work. Mm -hmm. And in that way, I was, I was like, Oh, that actually works. Cause like, just as this is, this is a weird sort of form of adaptation, right? This is not to my mind. If you had me, if you put me on a soapbox and said, talk about, where porn exists in this. This is not spoof. This is not parody. This is adaptation. And I think that's a, such a subtle difference, but it yeah. really makes it work because they're not, they're not lampooning something. They're not making fun of something. They're using something funnily, humorously mm -hmm. to tell a story about these stupid self-absorbed characters that they want to tell. Well, 
I guess so. I mean, so uh, the, by that logic, then we're going into the assumption that softcore porn is inherently self-aware that it's bad, which I, I honestly think that might be the case, <laughs> and maybe that's why it works. Yeah, because wh- wh- how can you parody something that is already aware that it's ridiculous, right? I mean, Trace, the the lemon whore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No. Exactly. Exactly. And. I think there's just there's a charm to this movie. You can tell everyone's having fun, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it really translates from the screen to the viewers. And I really can see how it would get old after a while for someone. And I just disagree. Like I just I, I find this movie so inherently charming and likable. And again, like I mean, this is my fourth or fifth time watching this movie today. Sorry overall but i watched it today that's that's cry for help four times in one day that's too much but like i was just like i mean it was what noon on a tuesday and i was laughing my ass off (laughs) watching this movie again it's by myself i would kill to see this with a festival crowd Mm -hmm. that was my biggest thing too i watching it by myself same thing as you about 12 o'clock today and i've got headphones on and the first kill that we really see i mean i think it lulls you into a kind of false sense of security in a way where you think it's really going to stick with the clue aspect and it's going to go yeah. that route. But then, as you mentioned, Katie Asselton has a very graphic death scene where she is stabbed from behind with a dildo. And then you see it come out. Like there's a <laughs> lot going on in that scene. And I like kind of gasped almost like audibly. And like, I don't do that often because I wasn't ready for something of that violence. And then at the same time, the humor, there is one scene where you're in the thick of the horror at this moment. You're in the thick of, the mood is very dire and the characters are now finally getting to the the crux of this whole mystery. And all of a sudden they walk into a room and there's just a sexy plumber there. Like you guys need me to clean your, they're like, get the fuck out, get the fuck out. <laughs> and like, that's that right. adult swim vibe that I know will not work for some people. But in that moment, I burst out laughing. Like I could not contain it inside me. No, the, 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 vis- the visuals. So, Hey, one of my favorite gags is the steamy shower gag. Like where, so they walk into the golden shower um, and, it, it, and they're in there with the gimp suited killer and they're like, oh my god, where is everybody? Where? And of course you see Chris Red's, maybe, I- I'm sure it's a stand-in's penis. Might have been a stand-in like, dick. Yeah, we, we get a full cock in the in this scene. But like, then the-, the brilliance is it then pans out and we just see that they're all within two feet of each other <laughs> feeling around this shower. It's so fucking funny! And we haven't even mentioned the greatest character in the entire film. Bunny Van Clit. <laughs> Dr. Bunny Van Clit. Again, we get into the idea that she is the stereotype in every porno where you get the quote unquote ditzy actor playing a scientist or something. And in in this film, she is a weather scientist because there is a massive muff storm coming. And <laughs> Hurricane, she muff. Hurricane Muff is on the way. And again, this should be dumb. This should be so dumb. This should, no, it, and it is dumb, but it's so funny. <laughs> because every time she goes to try and help, she's like, I'm going to use science. And then it's just her making like a science fair volcano and being like, did that help? And everyone's like, but, but it, but it, it does pay off. Like it comes, it, it actually like makes sense with the narrative. Like they pull it back. And so that, that honestly is also what sets it above something like scary movie two to me. And I know we've already said that this isn't a parody, but it's like scary movie two is a series of skits. There's no plot and nothing matters. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is a series of skits kind of ish but it they it clearly like these writers care about the plot because they pull things in later that matter and it's just so fucking 
funny. <laughs> and it, even again, another editing gag is like, oh, maybe we should move your mother's body. Oh, I'm sorry. First of all, when when Katie Allison dies, we get Chris Red going, oh man, I think she's sick or something. <laughs> and then Van Clitz like, I think we should move your mother's body. You know, out of respect. Smash cut to them just dropping her body on this bed. <laughs> A very fake prosthetic. Oh, Katie Allison was not. She no. was done filming. Like she moved on. Her, her, and Christopher McDonald. Uh, sorry, spoiler again. Most yeah. people die in this film, but when Christopher McDonald, they throw his body on, and it's just like a mannequin they found, like at a Macy's, like just on the dumpster. Yeah. But, but I, I, that works, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's clear that that's what it is, but it makes it funnier. But how they just like fucking like manhandle this this mannequin. I liked. You know, I I don't know if I want to say the golden era because that's not true, but we're living in an era where everybody just wants to remake to varying degrees the films that they loved, you know, mm-hmm. as, as children of the 80s and early 90s, right? So like all of these horror comedies are just, just these self-absorbed homages to all of the 80s. Like people are making intentional comedies about movies that weren't comedies yeah. and they all feel the same and they all work the same because they have no like heart or soul to themselves. They just exist to be referential to the thing that the filmmaker liked. And it's so like, it's, it's exhausting. It's fucking tiring to be living in an era where there are like horror comedies are basically just spoofs of eighties movies. And that, I think, you know, the, the reason why I, I walked out of this thinking about Pleasantville is because there are emotional journeys that there is characters go on. Some yeah. of them are really dumb. I'm not going to lie. Some of them, you know, they, they move an inch. Others move considered the babysitter moves fucking halfway across the world in terms of where she grows to (laughs) but the idea there is that like this movie doesn't this movie doesn't miss the fact that you need to actually have a core story of your own otherwise if all you're doing is referencing other movies you don't have a story of your own to tell and 30 minutes is about as much as you can sustain that yeah so what makes this work is the fact they're like yes we're gonna do all this stuff and we remember slashers and porn and like all that but we have characters who are well realized with actors that are Donato, as you said, super fucking committed to the bit. Like everybody here is all in. Like there, there is nobody, no mailed in performances. Everybody's committed. Um, and that makes it work because it is their movie referencing other movies rather than just a movie that is, you know, parody. With what you said, I mean, you know, Scream opened the door for all this stuff and Scream was a blessing and a curse in a way where it was a blessing because yeah. you had a master doing something that was new at the time and it did exactly what it had to do to be as successful and as iconic as it is. And since then, anything good is going to spawn countless, countless people trying to recreate that. And I agree. We're at the point now where that is the meta humor has been done. So to death. And I mean, you can have your cabin in the woods successes and those are going to come every now and then, but I go specifically recently and recently too to Bloodfest versus Hellfest, and mm-hmm. Bloodfest to me is what you just, described i hate bloodfest it does nothing but try to throw i know horror at you over and over again Mm -hmm. and it's a detriment to what's going on where hellfest to me actually cares about the story the slasher aspect it cares about what it's trying to tell and yeah it's got a scream vibe to it but at the same sense it is still committed to the story and i think this is where deep murder is the hellfest in the hellfest bloodfest analogy (laughs) no i i I think you're right i think i think maybe this movie is not, not saving grace necessarily but the fact that it isn't meta is probably a very very smart thing like th- there's a couple lines where it's like oh like that it's kind of because cr- meta can be either very fun and smart and witty or it can be like bloodfest where it's like cringy like oh god like i am i i want to slit my throat 
Um, and I, there, there's a line like, when Bunny Van Clitz, like, she's like, oh, when I was a nurse at Satan Jesus's hospital, uh, which I love. Um, but but then she follows it up with, how did I have time for so many jobs? And see, that that, that was like one step too far. I was like, you don't know. I, I don't know. Don't, don't, don't address that. Like, just say it. Just say your Jesus nurse thing. And that's it. But yeah, that, that's like some meta-ness. The film mostly avoids going into. But when it does, that's when the humor stops working for me. Right. That's when it, that's when it stops being a, a, when it does that, it becomes a happy Madison film. And when it avoids yeah. that, it's something else entirely. Mm-hmm, for sure. Which is weird though, because I see the babysitter crisis and that line on kind of on the same level. Uh, because, but it works for her, for me. <laughs> yeah. It's not a, it's not, it's a whole journey. It's not just like a throwaway line. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause, cause Van Clitt's line is clearly meant for the audience. Whereas mm-hmm. the babysitter's line feels like it's meant for her. I mean, even something as dumb as like, did you know that it can also, it can be the best of times and the worst of times? It's not really that funny, but honestly, like the, the delivery of um of Jessica Parker Kennedy, who if uh, anyone watches The Flash on the CW, she is uh, Nora Jones. No, Nora Allen. Oh my God, Nora Jones. <laughs> Nora Allen. Not Nora uh, Jones. Not the singer. Yeah. No, but like, I mean, it's, there, there's, I don't, to me, the weakest character in this film is the private dick, who's also one of the co-writers. Like I, But mm-hmm. it's a character type that I don't particularly enjoy. I do enjoy him roundhouse kicking Hugh uh, a lot. I think that's really fun. But overall, oh, and his immediate vomiting at seeing bodies. Like, that's funny. But but his bro-y, like, alpha male lines, like they don't work as well for me because that's not something that I gravitate towards. But I can tell, I can see how it would work for someone else. Well, usually we like to end these podcasts and we're going to do it here too about talking about how we can, how a film that we've discussed can find a new audience. And I think we've, we've touched on that a little bit in terms of like why this could work with an audience. But I mean, Trace, it's like you said, it's available as of April. It was available on Shutter. It's definitely available on Amazon because that's where I watched it. So I know that for a fact. It's just like, it's, it's this thing that we often discuss on the show about like when things are available and they don't have any hype the fact that they're available isn't enough sometimes, right? Because there are so many things competing for your interest. Even as horror fans, there's so many movies coming out every week that are probably worth checking out. Donato can vouch for me or not on this. He watches all of them. It's just like, how do you, how do you carve out attention for something like this that probably deserves more than 80, 90% of the other stuff that's out there. So where does this film, how does this film find its audience trace? I preach to the choir, man. Like I, I, I saw this a year, over a year ago, and I, when I watched, I immediately was like, oh my god, y'all, like, I know it looks like shit, but please watch this movie, but again, when you, I I don't want to blame the marketing for it, but it just looks like shit, (laughs) like, I mean, like, any images for this movie, you're like, oh, that doesn't look very good, and I, all I can say is just give it a chance, it's an 85-minute movie, like, if you're alone on a Friday night and you want to watch something easy that doesn't require a lot of attention, although attention is rewarded in this movie, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. pay attention to it, but like, yeah, I, I don't know how you bring more people to this. And Qu- Quinn Beswick actually, I think he like actually searches for this movie sometimes because whenever someone's talking about it, you'll see him like run in and like reply and be like, Oh yeah. Hey, like I wrote this movie and I'm in this movie, blah, blah, blah. blah. And I, I honestly just like not that I feel bad for him, but I, I I want I want to bring him success. I want people to be like I want people to go to him and be like, yes, thank you. Like I love this movie or I enjoyed this movie. This movie was so much better than what I thought it was gonna be. But I, I don't know, how do you go about doing that? So I have a theory on how you go about doing that. And you know, number one, I I agree with you because 
there are so many talks over and over again. And as, as someone who appreciates reboots with me as well, Trace, uh, you understand the sense that whenever a reboot gets announced, everyone starts yeah. yelling or a remake. Everyone starts yelling about why are we doing this? Originality's dead. Why are, why are we going to bother resurrecting old things and not putting a focus on new new films, new ideas, too? And Deep Murder is a genuinely creative original idea that never got any of the attention that it deserves just on that level. And whether we're talking about the comedy, whether we're talking about what it's doing, the idea that they went as hard as they did in this passion project, and it's clearly like a passion project, because again, you, you see people online and the creators are going out and reaching out to people who've said positive things yeah. about it because that's the only way they know how to do it and like it does suck it, these small indie films this is why we made the podcast we made the podcast because monogle and i were talking about festival favorites that just you never heard from again and i think deep murder fits right into there as a festival favorite that mm -hmm. for some reason just got passed over because everyone I, I do genuinely think everyone thought it was just going to be a dumb slasher on a on a porno set and that's all it had but no it's so much more than that and and the way that i try to bring attention to these kind of films is to sandwich them with something. And that's why me saying mm. Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 isn't just to make it easy to understand where it's coming from. I want people who liked Dude Bro Party Massacre 3 to all of a sudden be like, wait, there's another movie that in the same vein? And like, I'm going to yeah. show them together now forever. Like, I'm going to double bill them because I think I can hook people that way. And I'm going to pitch the freaking Alamo LA when it opens like, hey, this would be a really good uh, double bill or this would be something good for one of your special events when you do weird Wednesdays or something that that's, I think that's the only way this goes because it doesn't really fit shutter. If you're on shutter looking for horror, yeah. you're going to see that poster and go by Amazon prime just says too much stuff. So it gets lost a black hole. I, I will say though, it makes me really happy. Cause I mean, not, not that I was nervous bringing this in, but I, 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 I was prepared to have to defend this movie. <laughs> and I'm really, I'm really glad that I didn't have to do that. But it's 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 just based on my past experiences showing it to people where they've been like, nope, not, not this isn't funny. Uh, so I, I'm glad <laughs> I'm really glad that y'all liked it. <laughs> well, I can say I won't name names, but we've only ever had one movie that was on the show that missed both Donato and I. So usually the movies that our guests bring in are going to at least score with Donato or at least score with me. But I mean, I, I figured it would probably score with Donato, but I was also like, maybe it's one of those random ones where he's like, this is dumb. <laughs> like you never know. <laughs> we're good. The only, the only thing I'll add to the conversation we're having is like to a certain extent, I think this justifies the, the over fandom that Donato and I are, are often guilty for online, right? Like we joke about demon wind. Right. We joke about the fact that I won't shut up about, Gosh, a lot of things, but the black coat's daughter or the empty man or things of that nature. Well, like and sauna for you too, like for that point you're making. I think sauna yeah. is a very good one. Yeah, and, and it becomes sort of this meta joke where like people know that's part of your personality and they're like, oh, you know, God, right. Matt, blah, 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 sauna, something. Like a film has become associated with you as mm -hmm. a brand, like you specifically. Like, yeah, everyone knows if you think of Demon Wind, you're like, oh, that's Donato. Like that, that's what it is. Black coat's daughter, oh, that's Monogle. Like, I, right. And, I will be happy to take on this this bearing mm -hmm. of deep murder. <laughs> because because that's kind of what it needs, right? Like it needs, you know, I don't want to use the word champion, but like the amount of people who have watched Demon Wind because Donato talks about it constantly is like the thousands, right? Minimum. Yeah. Minimum thousands of people have watched Demon Wind specifically because Donato has written about it and talked about it on Twitter and it's yeah. talked about it on guest appearance and on other shows and podcasts and stuff like that. And so that is the kind of thing that that I think that's when I enjoy being a film journalist the most is when I get to, when I get to 
be a fan again. And I get to be a fan in a professional context. And so the, the ability to basically do that and to just tie it to your personality and then constantly joke about it and stuff like it's silly, it's fun. It's a bit you do online, but at the end of the day, lots of people are going to watch these movies. Lots of people are going to watch black coats daughter or demon win or the empty man or whatever, because people like us just won't shut up about them. And that, that sort of makes it a good thing that that is our running jokes. As long as it's positive. You don't want to be one of those people continually bagging on a movie because that's yeah, the shitty way of doing it. That, that's not the fun way of uh, criticism. Which Yeah, if I watch Demon Wins and I don't like it, I'm going to message you privately and say, I hated this and never speak of it again publicly. <laughs> that, is, that is the way. Then that's when we end our friendship. So that's totally cool. <laughs> it's okay. You, li- you like Deep Murder, so I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I did say you had one. I did say you had one. Don't talk about the movies you don't like all the time on Twitter. Don't be one of those uh, no. those pretentious assholes trace was talking about from his high school experience like be the other one be be the trace be the guy who's happy we all have those ones i i I don't really care for the original superior that much but i know obviously i know that i'm wrong quote unquote i mean i'm not wrong like it's my opinion but like i'm not going around on twitter being like oh fuck suspiria like because what does that do for me like why what what joy do i get out of robbing other people of saying like oh if all these people like it but i don't then they're wrong like no I just don't get it. <laughs> but like, why am I going to tell people that, you know? I like how we spent an entire episode just imbuing Trace with all this authority and his parting shot for our audience is basically like, also, fuck Suspiria. <laughs> fuck Suspiria, man. I don't like that movie. No, uh, I, I will confess, Suspiria, I've seen it three times in my life. It's gone from a one to a two to like a two and a half. So keep going. So keep going. Yeah, see it again. Yeah. You've got it's like pretty. three more, it's three more views. Pretty. It's very pretty. I know it's no deep murder, but yeah, you know. no deep murder though. <laughs> That's a four star <laughs> film, baby. You're joking. I think I might give it four stars on Letterboxd. Like I'm not. Uh, I'm giving it four stars. I gave. I've I've always given it a three and a half. Today I was like, fuck it, and I gave it a four. Like whatever. <laughs> it's always good when when your people are among their people. Um, the two of you are very happy right now. <laughs> Trace, if folks liked what they heard, except for maybe the Suspiria bit, we'll forget about that, yeah. and want to follow you on social media, want to follow your projects and hear what you're thinking about other films, what are the best places online to, to yeah. listen and get a hold of you? Yeah, so for me personally, uh, you can find me at Trace D as in dog Thurman, Trace Thurman on Instagram and Twitter. Um, that's where I have my personal shit, but you can find Horror Queers at Horror Queers on Instagram and Twitter as well. We've got a YouTube channel. We've got a letterbox to keep track of all the movies we discuss um and we're on bloody disgusting you have a patreon oh yeah and we <laughs> we also have a patreon uh patreon.com slash horror queries because everyone if you did not know on patreon if you are marked as an explicit creator you do not show up in patreon search results so we've had countless people tell us i've tried searching for you on patreon and i can't find you and i was like yeah you gotta either google horror queries patreon or you have to literally use the link we give you in every single episode of the show which is patreon.com slash horror queers and we talk about new things, old things, whatever. Um, and we do audio commentaries, and they're really fun. So if you want to watch movies with two white gay dudes, um, subscribe. <laughs> if you want to watch movies with two straight white mats. <laughs> no, no. You can also subscribe. And apparently we might not be on Patreon because of the explicit tag. Learn something no, new no, every day. You're, you're there. You just won't pull it. If someone right, goes right, to Patreon searchable. and searches for Certified Forgotten, you're not going to pop up. 
I was just watching the gears turn on Donato's face as you were talking about that. Donato, um, where do people find you? And you probably should share the direct URL for our Patreon. Just, you know, throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, now that I know that new information, we'll, we'll uh, get that posted a lot more places. But yeah. you can follow me, Matt Donato, at Donatobot on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. I will be writing. I will always be commentating. I will always be demon winding. That's the best I can give you. As for myself, you can follow me on Twitter at LabSplice, L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. Visit CertifiedForgotten.com to read some really cool writing by a lot of really cool folks. Um, go revisit go revisit Trace's piece on all, why all them horror films need penises. He makes a really compelling <laughs> argument. <laughs> that, that was one of the first things I'd written in like a long time because I took a break from writing for the po- to do the podcast. And so I was... I was very nervous writing that because I was like, oh my God, I haven't written in so it's it's like a it's like an exercise, right? For the brain. Mm-hmm. Whew. But well, don't worry, Trace. You uh rose to the occasion. <laughs> okay. And what I like to do is I like to spend time on on our uh, keyword tracking tool and just watch as the ranking for Kevin Bacon's penis goes up a couple of points and then down a couple of points, all because of that article. Oh my god. <laughs> We're never, it's never going to be a front page thing, but we're solidly in like the 60s and 70s for that one. It's kind of great. That's good. That's good. Well, Trace, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm, I'm sorry that we were the, the last of your professional and personal partners um, to get on here, but that does not mean you were the least. It was awesome to have you. You brought us a movie that we both liked, which doesn't happen all that often. So thank you so much, man. Thank you for having me. No, this is so, I, I'm happy to introduce you to a film that I love. Donato, you got you to gotta come up with something for this, right? Bow chicka wah. <laughs>